suddenly we had the largest data set of its kind that had ever been collected. I think some of the things that were surprising perhaps or that were really clear from the data, the fact that this starts from an incredibly young age, a huge number of our entries come from girls under the age of 16. It was very clear that the problem is still rife in the workplace. So obviously it made it clear that there's a real hidden problem still going on there. And I think the kind of intersection of sexism with other forms of prejudice that comes out so clearly in people's lived experiences, people who are experiencing sexism and racism or ableism or transphobia or Islamophobia, and they aren't separate problems that happen to them on different days. It's so clear from their stories that these are things happening to those women in a way that is interconnected and that we have to kind of recognize that when we try to tackle the problems. I'm your host, Michelle King, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. It seems to be increasingly difficult to talk about sexism, equality, and women's rights in a society that perceives itself to have achieved gender equality. When women or men complain about everyday sexism or suggest that they're unhappy about the way in which women are being portrayed, they're labeled as difficult or uptight. Laura Bates, founder of the Everyday Sexism Project, has spearheaded a global movement to raise awareness of the day-to-day experiences of sexism that women have to endure. Through the project, Laura has catalogued stories from hundreds of women detailing their accounts of sexism. Every instance, whether minor or serious, demonstrates that sexism does exist. It's faced by women every day. Solving inequality starts with seeing it, So on this episode, Laura is going to be joining us to discuss the project and more importantly, how each of us can take action to eradicate everyday sexism. The Everyday Sexism Project, founded by Laura Bates in 2012, is a digital platform employed in the fight against sexism. Since its inception, the site has received over 100,000 submissions in more than 13 different languages, detailing a wide variety of experiences. Submissions are uploaded directly to the website and via the Twitter account at Everyday Sexism, using the hashtag Everyday Sexism. Here, Laura shares why she started the project. I started the Everyday Sexism Project in 2012, and um, I started it thinking it would be a very small online project and not expecting very much to come of it except to have something to point to when people said that sexism wasn't an issue anymore, that women are equal now and there was no problem. Obviously, it, it took off in a way that I hadn't imagined. So we've now received um, hundreds of thousands of entries from people all over the world. What that meant was that I was able to transition from the project being purely an awareness raising tool into using it offline in all kinds of different ways. So first it kind of moved into kind of journalism and using the stories people were sharing to try and create awareness more widely by kind of collecting them thematically and writing about them. Um, I write for The Guardian, The New York Times and various other outlets. 
and then later into actually taking specific sections of the stories we receive and using them everywhere from schools to universities to businesses. So we would take the stories, for example, that were just from girls at school and use them to campaign for ministers who were considering a new regime on relationships and sex education to try and get the law to change so that young people were better informed in the classroom about things like consent and healthy relationships. Or we used the stories from women in law to go into law firms and talk about specific elements of workplace sexual harassment that might happen in that particular arena and various other areas. Similarly, uh, we used the stories just from women on public transport to retrain 2000 British transport police to tackle sexual offences differently on the transport network. So it's become a much bigger project than I originally anticipated, I suppose. I think there were several things actually that I hadn't necessarily anticipated that came out very clearly in the data because suddenly we had the largest data set of its kind that had ever been collected. I think some of the things that were surprising perhaps or that were really clear from the data, um, the fact that this starts from an incredibly young age, I thought that we'd get results from adult women sharing their experiences, but in reality, a huge number of our entries come from girls under the age of 16. It was very clear that the problem is still rife in the workplace. I expected the vast majority of our entries to concern street harassment, but actually the single biggest category that we have is workplace incidents. So obviously it made it clear that there's a real hidden problem still going on there. And I think the kind of intersection of sexism with other forms of prejudice that comes out so clearly in people's lived experiences, people who are experiencing sexism and racism or ableism or transphobia or Islamophobia, and they aren't separate problems that happen to them on different days. It's so clear from their stories that these are things happening to those women in a way that is interconnected and that we have to kind of recognise that when we try to tackle the problems. So, you know, a disabled woman being asked to do a pole dance around her walking stick an Asian woman on campus with her university boyfriend when people start shouting at him asking if she's a male or a bride. Um, older women who use the word invisible again and again in their project entries. But that came out really clearly as well. Sexism happens in day-to-day moments. It can be a joke, comment, undertone or action that results in the devaluing of women based on their biological sex or gender. Here, Laura shares the major examples of everyday sexism that she's uncovered through the project. I'd say that all the categories are more common than people might assume or think. It ranges from workplace sexual harassment, which might be anything from unwanted sexual comments, comments about somebody's sex life or love life, comments about their appearance, unwanted sexual advances, up to sexual assault in the workplace, to unwanted kissing, touching, groping, or worse. But it also extends to things like digital harassment. For example, one woman wrote to us about a tradition in her workplace called Porn Fridays, where images of she and her female colleagues' faces were photoshopped onto porn pictures and sent around the workplace every Friday. And she and her female colleagues who tried to object were called prudes and, you know, accused of rocking the boat and being feminazis, not being able to take a joke. But of course, there are so many other categories as well. There's pregnancy and maternity discrimination, women being told that they wouldn't be considered for a promotion because they were considered a maternity risk, women being fired for becoming pregnant. One woman was gifted in front of her entire office a wrapped up mega box of condoms by her boss when she went off to get married. And he said, if you get pregnant, you won't be coming back. 
you know, it really is a very broad kind of range. And of course, it also extends to assumptions about women's suitability for particular roles, especially in certain male dominated industries. The idea that women are often kind of forced into secretarial roles, that they're assumed to be junior in meetings. There's a huge diversity of what it looks like in the workplace. And all of these stories are just so incredibly common. It might be something like a woman in a meeting making a suggestion, coming up with an idea that's broadly ignored until a man suggests the same identical idea five minutes later. And there's great applause and everybody says that sounds great. These are all things that are reported to us on a very regular basis. The battle for diversity and inclusion will only be won when people are viewed as multifaceted in their social identities. Intersectionality is a term first coined by legal scholar Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989. Intersectionality is a framework for understanding how social identities like gender and race overlap with one another and with systems of power that oppress some people and advantage others. Here, Laura shares how intersectionality played out in her research. We found very clearly that the kind of intersection of sexism with racism in particular, but also other forms of prejudice, meant that the problem tended to be worse and to have worse outcomes for women living at those intersections. Some examples in the workplace might be um, a black woman who described a job interview where the woman going in before her, the white woman, had had a perfectly normal interview But with her, the interviewer started talking about his uh, sexual fantasies related to what he described as spicy and exotic black women. There was another black woman who described being at a big conference where she was due to give the keynote presentation, but waiting outside the main conference room to go in, she was constantly interrupted by other attendees of the conference as she tried to prepare, asking her where the bathroom was, assuming that she worked at the venue. It's very clear, I think, in terms of who feels supported or able to make a report as well. So women who tend to be lower paid, particularly if they're on an insecure contract, um, if they're on a zero hours contract, if they're in the service industry, if they're in client facing roles, they tend to be more likely to receive sexual harassment in particular. And they also tend to be those women who don't feel able to report what's going on because they fear losing their job. In many cases, these might be women who don't have an HR department to complain to. When we talk about tackling this problem, people often talk about HR, but people are often working in roles where that simply doesn't even apply to them as a concept. We hear from migrant and refugee women who feel that their status makes it impossible for them to complain. There's kind of additional risks there in terms of contact with the authorities. So it definitely isn't the same problem for everyone. And again, that means that a one-size-fits-all approach doesn't work for everybody either. Research finds that employees tend to believe in the meritocracy myth. That is, that workplaces function in the same way for everyone, because all employees are essentially the same. This makes it impossible to solve inequality and address the different lived experiences that employees have of working life. Given that gender and racial denial are often experienced by those in positions of power, which are largely dominated by men, it is likely that men and women lack the general awareness of how inequality doesn't work for them. Without this awareness, it's exceedingly difficult for employees to fully engage in diversity and inclusion efforts because they often feel that these efforts come at a cost to their career advancement. Here, Laura shares why denial is still so entrenched when it comes to understanding everyday sexism. 
I think there are a number of factors. There are people, I think, who deliberately want to brush this under the carpet because it benefits them to keep the system as it is. There are some people who are determined to say that there isn't any problem even when they know that there is. But there's also, I think, a genuine invisibility of the problem, which arises from a number of factors. Um, the blaming of victims, which silences women, the fact that it starts from such a young age. And so many of the women who write into us have never told anybody about these stories. And there's a number of reasons. They're concerned that they'll be blamed. Or perhaps when they were 13 or 14 and they did talk about something happening, they were told, often by a family member or someone close to them, you're overreacting, you're making a fuss about nothing. He just likes you. Boys will be boys. This is what life's like for a girl. Get used to it. Well, what were you wearing? Did you lead him on? There are a million ways in which we learn from a very young age, firstly, that this is to be expected, that it's normal. Don't make a fuss. Don't say anything. And secondly, that if you do make a fuss, you should expect to be the one who's blamed. And that really silences the problem. So many of the people I speak to or who share their stories with us have never told anyone before about what's happened. What that means, I think, especially when you combine it with other kind of forms of silencing, the fact that these things often happen behind closed doors or in an empty copy room when you're staying late at the office in a deserted street, is that there is a critical mass of men who wouldn't dream of behaving in this way themselves, but also have no idea that it's going on and that this is the daily landscape of women's lives. So you have these men who will write in saying, I am shocked by this. I've been looking at the stories on your website, or I've been looking at the tweets coming into everyday sexism, and I just had no idea this existed. So I think there are people who don't want to know, and there are people who genuinely have no idea. And all of that kind of silencing and covering up and invisibility um, adds to the shame and stigma that makes it difficult to solve the problem. Given the challenges employees encounter with denial and a lack of awareness, they're unlikely to understand the key barriers that both men and women face because of cultures of inequality at work, which makes it difficult for them to know how to challenge the status quo and create inclusive environments of work. Here, Laura shares why we need to treat sexism as a systemic issue. I think it's vital that we move towards a, an awareness of the systemic nature of the problem. Very often people will say to me, well, women don't report it. And that's accurate. We know we did research with the TUC in the UK recently with the Everyday Sexism Project. We found that over half of women experience workplace sexual harassment, and that rose to over two thirds for young women, and that 80% hadn't reported it when it happened. So people then respond by saying, well, you know, organizations can't be expected to do anything if they don't know what's going on. Women should just report it. And we have this obsession with, you know, can we do an article or have an interview about what women should do when this happens? And all of this suggests that the individuals are the ones in a position to tackle the problem, but it isn't an individual problem, it's systemic. And for me, the thing that reveals that is another stat from that same research, which is that, yes, only 20% of women reported what happened. But if you dig into those who did report, 75% said nothing changed. And another 16% said they were treated worse after reporting. So that's why women don't report, because the systems aren't there to support them. So organizations, I think, need to put the work in before they ask anyone to report at all. They need to look at their reporting procedures. They need to make sure that they have a really clear workplace sexual harassment policy, a discrimination policy, and that they're employees know what that is. They need to look at training. They need to make sure, for example, that the steps of the process will support victims. So some workplaces might say, yeah, we've got a policy, it's all fine, but the policy says that you have to report to your manager. 
which doesn't take into account the power imbalance which is inherent in many of these situations where it might be a manager who's actually doing the harassing. So really looking at those reporting systems, are they fit for purpose? Are they transparent? Are they victim-centered? Do they ensure that a victim won't face backlash as a result of reporting? And does everybody in the workplace know about them and know about the fact that this is taken seriously? In workplaces where there's buy-in from the top, from kind of management, from the C-suite in these kinds of programs, the cultural change is dramatically more than in workplaces where it's a kind of tick box exercise. We want to say that we're doing something, but we're not necessarily really getting behind this. Finally, Laura shares what all of us can do to tackle everyday sexism. I think the first thing is a recognition that tackling this would be good for everybody because there is sometimes a knee-jerk defensive response. When we talk about improving things for women in the workplace, there's sometimes an assumption that that means taking something away from men. But the reality is that we also hear from men, you know, who are, for example, not only denied uh, requests for time off for extended parental leave, but even ridiculed for asking for it. So the same outdated stereotypes holding women back in the workplace are also having a negative impact on men. And by every measure, companies that tackle this, that reduce sexual harassment and discrimination and increase diversity in the workplace, perform better. We know that it lifts everybody up. I think my message for men who aren't necessarily experiencing something like this themselves but want to know how to help is that there is something each of us can do depending on our level in the workplace. There will be something within your immediate sphere. Whether it's saying something when you see something like this happening, not leaving it to the victim who might feel very vulnerable speaking out, challenging other men if you hear sexist banter happening in the workplace, supporting a victim and letting them know that you would be prepared to support them if they wanted to take things further. It might be a case of if you're somebody who has control over hiring decisions and promotion decisions in your workplace, doing an audit and having a look at how that's going and what the pipeline looks like and are there issues around promoting women in your workplace. But even if you're more junior, we heard a great story from a man recently who was in a very junior role, but he had a female colleague who was constantly in every meeting being asked to take notes. And she felt very much that it was kind of pushing her into a secretarial role that was affecting how she was perceived by other members of the team. Now, he wasn't in a managerial role. He didn't have the kind of authority to discipline anybody. So instead, he started turning up at the meetings a couple of minutes early and just making the coffee and taking the notes himself. So it was a really good example, I think, of how any one of us in, in a small way can take positive action to try and tackle the invisibility of this. I think know your rights, um, be aware of the fact that support is out there, that it isn't normal, that it isn't okay, it isn't just the way things are, you do have a right to speak up. If you're in the UK, have a look at the Equality Act and your rights under the law, be aware of your rights to take a case to tribunal, be aware of the fact that sometimes there's a time limit on that, sometimes it's only three months. If you feel that it's very small pinpricks and it's difficult to kind of explain how they add up, then keeping a note or a diary can be really useful particularly if you do end up making an official complaint, having a date and time of each incident and what was said and any witnesses that might have been there. And finally, I think speaking out as a group can really help. You know, there's a reason why women feel worried that they'll be seen as rocking the boat or making a fuss about nothing if they come forward. But if a group of women raise an issue together, it makes it much more difficult to kind of scapegoat one of them and for it to affect their career. So standing together can really make a difference in trying to tackle these things as well. Thank you 
for tuning in to today's episode. I really hope you found what Laura had to share as eye-opening and useful as I did. Tackling inequality requires awareness and understanding of the key issues and barriers that all women and men face, and importantly, how these challenges are compounded by difference. The Everyday Sexism Project is a great example of why awareness is the key to solving inequality. If you want to learn more or support Laura's project, then please check it out at www.everydaysexism.com. Before you go, just a quick reminder that you can get a copy of my book, The Fix, or the electronic or audible version from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, or at all major retailers. In reading The Fix, you will discover what the barriers are that all women face because of gender inequality, and how this also creates challenges to men's fulfillment at work. Most importantly, you'll learn what we can do to remove these obstacles, and how we can begin to make our workplaces work for everyone. So get your coffee today and please let me know what you think by leaving a review on Amazon.